Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Just Something About Her. I hope you're having a nice holiday season, relaxing, recharging, hopefully spending some time with people you love, either in your home or virtually. But I know that the holidays can be really hard. And we're all feeling that this year at the pandemic. So many people have lost someone they have loved and we're living with incredible anxiety. So I wanted to bring on someone who gets all of that. Somebody who's very special in my life, which is my niece, Rebecca Drago. Um, Rebecca is the daughter of my oldest sister, Dana Drago, who passed away from early onset Alzheimer's in early 2017. Rebecca is one of Dana's three children. And like me, she works in politics. And we had a similar experience in dealing with Dana's death, which her demise happened during the course of the 2016 campaign. But I know we also had very different experiences, some of which we have not talked about because there are things as her aunt I wanted to shield her from. I'm sure there are things she wanted to shield me from. But I think that those shields are a mistake. Trying to protect our parents or our siblings, or in this case, you know, my niece from experiencing loss. And if you try to wall yourself off from feeling that, or you try to wall others in your life off from feeling that, it is not just a fool's errand because you can't be shielded from loss ultimately in life, but also you're robbing yourself, I believe, of what can be some really rich moments. So this is an episode about loss but I think that you can find it's also inspiring. And I hope that there's lessons in here that will enrich your life. Because what I have found is after having watched what my sister went through, I live life much more to the fullest. Are you nervous? Are you scared you're going to yeah, cry? absolutely. You're definitely going to cry. I thought about texting you before and being like, Are, am I going to cry? Of like, course you're going to cry. <laughs> We're going to laugh too. Okay. So, Rebecca Drago, welcome to Just Something About Her. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is surreal. <laughs> totally surreal. I also want to say, like all of our guests, you're here, also here, because, you know, even at your young age, you have a high-powered career working in political communications, you know, a good role model for other young women, either your age or women who are still in high school, college, you know, trying to get their bearings. So let me talk about your mom and her influence in both of our lives. So a little a bit about Dana Draco. My sister, Rebecca's mom, she died of early onset Alzheimer's in February of 2017. She was diagnosed in 2013, although they told us that she had probably had the disease for maybe even a decade. But of course, you wouldn't think someone in their 40s would have early onset Alzheimer's. And, you know, it was not something that I think any of us, including Dana, considered. She was super successful, had a long career and banking was always very driven, you know, mm -hmm. graduated high school early, got started college <laughs> early, left college early uh, because she had to speed through it. Very physically fit, very pretty, <laughs> very yep. driven, successful. Yeah, just very driven. And she ended up passing away right after the 2016 election. And you had just graduated from St. Andrews, right? 
Yeah, I was, I guess I just turned 23. Which by the way, yes, everyone, it is the college in Scotland that <laughs> where William and Kate met. And some people think that's why Rebecca went there. But I know the truth is she went there because it looks like Hogwarts. Absolutely. <laughs> and my mom played a huge role in that. I really wanted to go. And I think my parents, my dad, especially rightly so, was like, there are a thousand good schools in America. I do not know why you need to go to Scotland. And ever my mother's daughter, I prepared a PowerPoint presentation and I, I think I delivered it to mom first. She was like, okay, solid. You need a better conclusion. Um, <laughs> she gave me like really good business advice and was like, okay, let's deliver this pitch. And she was definitely like, if this is what you want, we will get you there. And she did. I wonder now what Dana knew and when, when she knew it. Um, she called me, which was, you know, she didn't call me a lot, right? Like I would see her when I would see her or Christmas and some point of the summer or whatever, but she started calling me and explain that something was wrong and she had some kind of health problem and she was trying to sort it out. And I kind of wonder now if she knew earlier what it was and was like trying to tell us all gently, you know, and it took a few weeks, but eventually she said it's early onset Alzheimer's and I was sort of relieved, you know, at least how she portrayed it was that it wasn't a brain cancer or brain tumor, which she had been concerned it might be. And she had a very positive outlook about how this meant this was a good thing. This is a blessing, really. Mm -hmm. This is a blessing is what she always said. This is a blessing because it's <laughs> going to she was going to retire and she was very fortunate that she had done well and had the finances to be able to do that. She was going to have good care. Um, I think she felt like she was going to live a lot longer than she did. I certainly did. I thought she'd probably live like another 20 years. I thought people lived with Alzheimer's for a long time. And she said it was, you know, she's going to be, we're going to spend more time with each other than we otherwise would have as sisters and as a family. And it was a blessing. And she kind of delivered on that, you know? Yeah. But how did you feel when she told you or did your dad tell you? I think she told me I think we FaceTimed. I was a sophomore in college. It was October. So it was, you know, eight hours ahead time zone wise. And it was tough. Like, and I'm very happy that I, you know, finished school yeah. for all of that. Yeah. And like I got really good grades and, you know, right. I think I made it work like her mom wanted me to. I definitely thought, I think like she genuinely thought, and we all thought, especially at the beginning that this was going to be, you know, a 10 yeah. to 15 year thing. Right. Right. And it obviously moved a lot quicker than that. And so sometimes I wonder like if I had known, you know, right. like she's going to tell you in three years later, she's not going to be here. Like what I have done things differently is something I think about a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. One thing that you and I have talked about is, Parents' aunts want to shield uh, their yes. offspring and their nieces from like terrible things. And, you know, it's like, I mean, we tried to follow what we thought Dana would want, but in trying to like let you have space to go to college and enjoy college and have some semblance of a normal life and not always be focused on how Dana was doing. It's also just a tough disease, you know, like, it's just so hard to explain to people like what's happening. Like I remember trying to talk to my friends about it 
And you're like, well, my mom has Alzheimer's. And they're like, how old is your mom? Right. You know, right. <laughs> and you're like, she's actually really young. It's early onset. Well, what does that mean? And right. it, you're right. What you said earlier, when, you know, you, you think of Alzheimer's, like people have Alzheimer's for like 20 years, right. you know? Right. I remember thinking like, this would be a lot easier if it was cancer, which is a weird thing to, yes, you know, think. I know what you mean. Yeah. But I remember being like, it would be easy to explain, you know, depending on what stage it is, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, how serious it is. There's treatment options. You can talk about it. You know, it like affects your body and your mind. Like, I remember thinking a lot to myself, like, I really wish she had cancer. Well, cancer also, you can have hope with cancer, Right. Yeah, you can have hope that she's going to be okay, or she's going to be cured, or there's just one more surgery, or maybe she'll be a candidate for chemo. You know, I've thought a lot about that. We didn't have to live with the ups and downs that comes with the false hope that you can get from cancer. You know, it's like, if somebody had a terminal illness, and they're going to die from it, would you want an experience that we had with her where we like, spent a lot of time with her and enjoyed whatever moment we were in with her, like you found a way to mm-hmm. enjoy it. Or would you want the ups and downs of chemo and always hoping that it's going to be better news than it ends up being and you're constantly disappointed, disappointed, disappointed. And then eventually, you know, they had the same end. I don't know. I mean, I think everyone wishes, like, I just wish I had known more at the time mm-hmm. when we gotten the diagnosis and I wish I'd known what it meant. And there wasn't really like anyone to talk to just because so few people. I mean, right. Like you understood it better. Right. I also think part of the reason why she like declined so quickly is because she had spent, you know, I think if she was a less driven person, she probably would have known she was sick earlier, if that makes sense. You mean that like she spent 10 years fighting it and we didn't know it. Yeah. She actually did have it for 15 years. We just didn't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. And we just didn't know. Yeah. And, you know, she worked so hard in those 10 years. I mean, I just imagine how like isolating and like scary of an experience that must have yeah. been because you know your potential. Yeah. And, you know, you know, oh, I'm really good at this. Like, why is this hard for me? You know, so the amount of like self-doubt she must have had. Right. I think about a lot. Yeah. Like wondering what is happening. Yeah. Like, why am I not remembering this? Like, why is this thing that I've been able to do my entire career really, really well, suddenly so much harder and I'm not old. Yeah. And what do you take away from that now? When I think about mom, I just think of how like incredibly resilient she was Yeah, in a way that was really healthy, I think. Yeah. You know, like she talked about, especially as she got older, I got older and we could be, we could communicate more as peers. Like she always wanted to talk about really serious like she did. stuff, you know? I don't. She always did. Yes. And I'd be like, I'm 16, mom. Like, I don't know. And she'd always be like, well, I just want like, talk to me like as if we're friends. And I'm like, we are not friends. <laughs> you are my mom. <laughs> I feel like she always talked to me like I was an adult. And so I like learned a lot about her yeah. that I don't know if like other 14 year olds learn about their mom right. and that stuff that maybe I would have learned like down the road, which I think is always, I don't know. Oh, right. Like she definitely packed a lot in, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot to be proud of with Dana, right? That she's super successful and she's three great kids, but I'm the most proud of her for how she handled this disease. Like it's such a horrible thing to go through, but 
she did. She totally delivered. She said, it's going to be a blessing. We're going to spend more time together. It's going to make us all closer as a family. Yeah. And that's totally true. The whole family is closer now as a result of that. 100%. I mean, I spent more time with Dana in those last four years than I had in the previous 10, probably. And we really made the most of it. And she like went through that with incredible bravery and just like a lot of concern about everyone else. And grace. Grace. She was very graceful throughout the whole thing. And so then in July, as I recall, July, you came and joined us on the Hillary Clinton campaign and went off to Iowa. When did you go to Iowa? You went to Iowa to help with organizing. October, beginning of October. So I was there for like a month and a half. And so then on the, the Friday before the election, Beth, my sister, your aunt, um, but not your favorite aunt, obviously, because that's me. You don't have to respond to that. <laughs> um, so Beth, who was Dana's medical guardian, was in Dallas, uh, where Dana was living, and uh, called me to say, you have to call Dana tonight because we think she's going to die this weekend. And you have to call her tonight to say goodbye. And I just landed in Cleveland to go to the Jay-Z and Beyonce concert that they were doing for Hillary. And I remember my recollection is you got, you were, I think that your dad called all three of you together or something like what happened? You're, you and your other two siblings. My dad texted me. I was driving Senator Harkin back from a Bernie Sanders oh rally. It's can't so make horrific. this up. <laughs> oh, God. And so I got a text from dad that said, like, can you call me? And obviously, you know, I try not to text and drive. Right. I certainly try not to text and drive when there's a senator in my car. Um, and I just knew, yes. you know, that's like, no. you know what? Sometimes you get that text and it, you know, OK, you know, he probably wants to talk about like whatever the weather. But I just knew it was going to be bad. Well, plus, I mean, those whole three years or four years from when she got diagnosed, any time a member of our family texted to be like, can you call me? Or, hey, need to talk to you when you have a minute. Your stomach just drops and you're like, this is going to be something about mm-hmm. And it was. And I think I like dropped yeah. him off. I pulled over to the side of the road. It's like, you know, you can see every star in the sky. It's in like the middle of nowhere outside Des Moines. And I talked to dad and I was like, I have to drive back to the office. I was like borrowing someone's car. There was just all this logistic stuff. And then I got to the office. I think I called you sobbing yes, and yes. you were in the hold of like, <laughs> I was in the hold. I was at this, whatever that center is in, in Cleveland. And I had was like sobbing in the hallway and Jared Brown and, uh, Connie Schultz shielded me. I just love those two so much. <laughs> Senator Sherrod Brown and his wife, Connie Schultz, they shielded me in the hallway so like nobody could bother me. And then I finally tried to go into Hillary's hold and this woman walked out, a very pretty woman with a young daughter, like walked out, like saw me crying, like kind of like patted my hand and said, like, hope you're okay. And I, and I was like, oh my God, that was Beyonce and Blue Ivy. <laughs> But I'm like, whatever, I need to get into Hillary's hold so I can like sob and call my sister. Right. And that's when I talked to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then I flew to Dallas. My brothers also flew there. It was just so surreal. Um, Yeah. And Aunt Beth was there. We all kind of gathered together. And then when I got there, it was like, this is it. Like, you have to say your final goodbyes. But then... Like we were just waiting and waiting and then it seemed like mom was going to get better. So, or not better, but she was going to be okay. (laughs) And then I remember it was a big thing. Like, you know, it was election day. Like, should I fly back to Brooklyn to be with everyone on election night? And Aunt Beth was like, you know, that's what your mom would want you to do. You should go. There's nothing you can do here. You should go. Like you really deserve this win, you know, and you should be able to 
<laughs> you've had a really tough year. You should be able to like celebrate this win with your friends and your coworkers. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. I do deserve this victory. I deserve to feel happy. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I flew in to New York. I got in at like 6 p.m. I went straight to the Javits Center. Oh, my God. Elrod, like new Adrian Elrod. Yeah, a mutual, very good friend. He was head of strategic communications for the Clinton campaign. And Adrian basically allowed me and Helen, um, one of my best friends and another assistant on the campaign to get into the like celebrity room early. (laughs) And I think we were asked to leave for crying too hard. (laughs) (laughs) crying harder than Lady Gaga and Katy Perry. I think they're like, you're scaring the celebrities and we would like for you to leave. And then I got there really like late at night, early in the morning, maybe two or something. I've done the forensics on this. It's like maybe Mm -hmm. 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And then I saw you. (laughs) You were just a couple of feet from me, but I hadn't seen Mm -hmm. you. And oh my God. Uh, One of the worst moments of my whole life, right? I know. That hug. I mean, I I had people come up to me and they're like, I didn't cry until I saw you two together. Mm -hmm. But we got it. We got through it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. we got through that. And like one of the things I've taken away from it is like it's helped me not live my life with dread. We are all stronger than we know. And all you have to be is strong in that one moment. And then you'll face the next. You know, like remember Beth was going to have to go to Dallas and go to a doctor's appointment with Dana and tell Dana that she couldn't drive anymore and like take away her car. And I was like. It's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, how is Beth going to do that? How is she going to do that? How is yeah. she going to the conversation? But you walk in the room and you sit down to your sister and you tell her you can't drive anymore. It's not safe. You have the conversation. And what you know is that in each moment that you're having that conversation, as hard as it is, you are strong enough to get through that moment. And if you can get through that moment, you can get through anything. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't in other parts of my life I don't dread things that might otherwise cause anxiety the way I would have before. What about you? I, yes, absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, you talk about it a lot in your first book. Yeah. <laughs> if I can plug oh, Dear yeah. Madam oh, yeah, the for f- you really quickly. Uh, New York Times bestseller. You have to be specific, Rebecca, because <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, this is my first job out of the, college was working for Hillary Clinton and she lost and the exact same time, you know, my mom is dying. And so those like two really horrible experiences, you know, have meshed together in my mind. Like I, yep. you know, that January, like, I don't think it was probably clear to anyone, like what to me and to you, to a lot of people who are going through similar situations, like what we were grieving for at any given moment, yep. you know, it was, it was both. So I mean, I I do feel as if I could probably survive anything after that. Right, <laughs> you can. Definitely, you can. You have lived the worst year of your life. You have. like, Yeah, and, you know, we as a family managed to get through it in a way that, you know, I think we all got closer because of yeah. it. Like, I just remember being, you know, grandma and grandpa's or going to Dallas in March that year. Mm-hmm. Um, when we went for and, her memorial service in March after. Yeah, she, like yeah, that was great. And even to tie it to like the Clinton loss, you know, even I mean, like our staff party after the election, like all of these dates and times that are really, really dark. Yeah. Were some of the times that I like laughed the hardest or had 
so much fun, you know, or the most meat. Well, because you can just kind of, they were meaningful. meaningful. You can like shed everything, right? You just shed everything else. And so you get to sort of like the root of what actually matters in life. Like the moments, like, because when I went to see Dana, I went on Saturday after the election, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, Dallas in November is so beautiful. It's like, just like enough sun that it's like Perfect warm, weather. but it's not hot. <laughs> and um, so we had the window open and I'm like playing music with her, like think Dan Fulgerberg in America and things that we, Stevie Nicks naturally. And just like holding her hand and you're just like, all the expectations fall away and you realize how much of life is loaded up with expectations of what's what you have to do next or what's supposed to come next. And this is just like, we were just there and together and, you know, sisters and her hand looks like my hand and it looks like yours. And, you know, just like this connectivity. And it wasn't just like, oh, it wasn't terrible. It's like some of the best moments of my whole life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe it's because it was communal. I don't know. You know? Yeah. They were very cathartic. And I think, you know, that's probably what makes like this pandemic really difficult for people, right? Is because they can't, I don't know. I, I've been thinking a lot about oh. like funerals that are happening now. Yeah. Or sometimes I think about just the fact, like, I mean, having a, a loved one in like a nursing home yeah, or like a long-term care facility. Like yeah. if mom was there throughout all, I mean, that would have been horrible. Oh my you God. Know? If she was at Silverado memory care without, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And, and then, you know, people die and you can't, gather for a funeral like we are i feel like our whole country is in like a state of like suspended grief right all of the normal things that we do when tragedy strikes we just can't do right now yeah i think when people say like that somebody's dying of covid and so there are people their family's not able to say goodbye it's not the like finality of saying goodbye it's like robbing you of these like really rich moments of life you know, not death. Yeah. Of life. More to come after the break with my niece, Rebecca Drago. We're back with my niece, Rebecca. Before the break, we did a lot of reminiscing about my sister and Rebecca's mom, Dana, who passed away four years ago of early onset Alzheimer's. Let's talk about some good memories about your mom. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that sticks out to you the most about her, what is it? I remember being really little and like just when you're like a little girl yeah. on a Saturday or Sunday, especially, you know, my mom worked really hard, you know, like running errands with her was so, was the most fun thing I could imagine <laughs> doing on a Saturday. And the best thing was when like the clerk or whatever would be like, you look just like your mother. You are just a little Dana doll would be like what people would call me. And I was like, that's so cool. My mom's the best. And people think I look like her. Like she's the best person ever. And she's so smart and successful. I'm like, I'm a little version of that. That's incredible. You know? Yeah. She would always try to make things like errands fun because she was always like trying to like get me to do stuff that I didn't want to do. And she'd be like, come on, Jennifer, I'll buy you a cookie. I was like, Dana, yes. I'm 20 four years old. <laughs> like if I want a cookie, I can buy it myself. I'll buy myself a cookie. If there's one word that comes to my mind, it is enthusiasm, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. just like zeal that she undertook everything. It was, there was a lot of mom telling me to buck up. Like she was like, buck up, Rebecca. <laughs> We're doing errands. It's going to be fun. 
And she did make it fun. But like she was always the first person up in the morning. She's always, you know, before I'd ever gotten out of bed, Dana would have worked out, showered, like done a whole bunch of stuff. But like that is just, you know, this enthusiasm and focus. You know, she all seemed to be in a hurry. And then in the end, like she was right that, I mean, you know, she had a very full life, but losing her to early onset Alzheimer's is not something I had ever imagined at a young age, to say the least. Yeah. We both agree that she was a hyper-driven person. As her younger sister, I don't know if I thought I can't do that Mm -hmm. or if I don't want to do that, but I definitely, I don't think I've ever put as much effort into things as she did. But like, how did you deal with that? I, I mean, I only have ever been surrounded by, I think, especially women who are just so... Like to me, it was never surprising that you would be a really, really successful as a woman, right? I had my right. mom who has this incredible career in business, and then my aunt is like working in the White House. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even when I was little, I didn't know what you were doing. I was like, "There's a White House, she's in it. There's a president, <laughs> and he's there." Like you know, so it wasn't you know, it was never surprising to me to a certain extent. Like that's just you know, it's just as easy for women to be successful as it is for men right. because that's what I had surrounding me. I don't think I knew at a young age, like the fact that mom is so driven and busy and like, doesn't have enough time for us, that those were all related to the fact that she was a woman at a time, or she had been, you know, having this career right. where it was hard to get ahead as a woman. And yeah, in, I can't imagine in banking right. in the eighties and nineties, yeah. like that wasn't easy until recently. I didn't realize how hard that must've been. So right. I definitely think I was like, that looks like she's working way too hard. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I don't know if it's reacting to her model or we're just built the same way. It's, you know, nature, not nurture. But like, you seem to have the same reaction that I do, which is like, obviously neither one of us is like super laid back, but we're not as (laughs) driven as she was. Well, everything needed to be perfect for mom. Like she had to be perfect at her career. She had to have like a beautiful house. Everything needs to be clean. Like I don't need everything to be clean, I guess. Everything had to be perfect. I will say like she, there was a lot of stuff I think that happened, like invisible work that I didn't see, you know? Yeah. Like everything in our house was like perfectly spotless, clean all the time. Yes. And who was making it that way? You know, mom was probably up at like 5 a.m. vacuuming. Yes, yes. And I like, I'm so grateful for that, but I also don't know if I, I also think, I mean, you talked about it in the beginning, what I've been kind of thinking about a lot recently is the fact that, you know, for 10 years beforehand, before we ever got this diagnosis, right. she was dealing with this. She probably had no idea what she was dealing with, but it definitely right. colored a lot of her life that we couldn't see. Right. So a lot of my childhood, especially my teenage years, is tied up in all of that. Right. So a lot of the, I mean, this is getting a a little, (laughs) maybe too heavy, but a lot of the, you know, disappointments that I may have had with her or the feeling that she wasn't getting it and how could she not get this? How could she not get this? Yes. How could she not the like constant, like you would walk away from a conversation with her and be like, I think we are speaking two different language like how does she not understand what i'm trying to communicate and you know when your mother is this otherwise healthy successful you know perfect person it's really easy to just be like well she clearly doesn't care you know and now i think back on all of that and i 
I wish I'd been like kinder to her and to myself. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, you had no idea. You know, like it was hard for us to communicate because it was hard for you. Right. Now, what does Lisa say to do about that? <laughs> Lisa is the next oldest sister. So Dana was the oldest, Lisa, Beth, and then I'm the youngest. Lisa would say about that, about the misgivings we have of regrets about like being frustrated with Dana or not, you know, feeling like you can't connect with her and like, why can't we connect with her? Uh, you put it on the Alzheimer's train, right? Because mm -hmm. all yeah. of it is about the disease. And, you know, all of us are victims of it in some way. Absolutely. I do remember the day, you know, like she told me it was happening in October and then she's like, I happened to be coming to DC. And so she and Lisa and I went out to dinner in DC. And she looks at me and she's like, can I meet President Obama? And I was like, <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> because I work at the White House and my sister has early onset Alzheimer's and that's horrible. And if I say she needs to meet with the president, they're going to say yes. And they did. <laughs> so Lisa and Dana and I went in the next day and uh, spent some time with President Obama. And she said to him, this is like sort of her attitude throughout, which I also was really proud of. She's like, you know, I have this disease. Not like I'm sick. It's I have this disease. Like she did not allow it to become part of her, right? Mm -hmm. It's like something that she was dealing with. And she was like, you know, and when they find a cure, then it'll be gone and I'll be better. Yeah. But she didn't <laughs> let it define her. No, not at all. That's like a big takeaway I have from it. You know, we, it's like we're communications professionals, <laughs> both of us. Like, and that owning her own story right there and like making herself the yeah. hero of her own story. Like, I'm really proud of that. Just Something About Her is going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Rebecca Draco. Welcome back to Just Something About Her. Our guest today is my lovely niece, Rebecca Draco. Dana would always tell me, Rebecca is just like you, Jennifer. She reminds me so much of you from when you were young. Which I, of course, was like my favorite thing in the world about me now is that people say, oh, my God, I met your niece and she's like a mini me. <laughs> like not even so much how we look, I guess, it just in our sort of the intonation we speak and our gestures and all. It's so genetics, man. It's a freaky thing. It's funny because it's like we didn't live in the same area growing up. Mm -hmm. You were always so busy. It's not like we spent tons of time together right. when I was 12, you know? Right. But I, even from a really young age, like grandma would say that you sounded just like Jennifer there. Yeah. It's so wild, right? I know. I don't know how it happened. I know. I love it though. It's ridiculous. It's <laughs> ridiculous. But do you, so why did you decide to go into politics? When did you decide that you really liked that? Well, I think my dad has a huge part to that. My yeah, he's into it. John Drago <laughs> is super intellectual, I think, is the best way to describe him. Right. And it, this sounds genuinely unbelievable. But I remember 2003. Yeah. I was in third grade. Okay. We were out to dinner as a family and we had just made the decision to go to war in Iraq. And my dad made us have a conversation about it at dinner, like decide if whether or not. We felt like it was the right decision. And I was in third grade. I didn't know. <laughs> I can't imagine. I just remember being like, I can't believe dad is asking us this. Yeah. Even in third grade, I was like, I don't think I'm a little too young to know. Yes. <laughs> but we always had those kind of conversations at the dinner table. And dad was really good about pushing you and making sure that you had the soundest argument for your opinion. Mm -hmm. So I wanted, I just wanted more of that. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if that meant that I should be a lawyer. Uh -huh. I went to college and majored in international relations and thought maybe I should would be like a policy person. I just wanted into that world. Okay. So it's like 2020 and I was like, okay, 
Biden may win, you know, Biden may not win. (laughs) Hopefully Biden will win. But the one thing I'm certain of, because Rebecca's working for Congressman Joe Cunningham from South Carolina, and even though he's in a tough seat, he'll win re-election. So the one thing I know I won't have this election night is a sobbing Rebecca. And yet... And someone, somebody, I was in (laughs) Delaware with a circus and Gina Nemirovsky, the producer that I work with, told me, she's like, don't look at your phone. I was like, what? She's like, (laughs) Joe Cunningham lost. I was like, what? So I call Rebecca and... I I don't even think I said hi. I just start immediately said, this is so bad. <laughs> I think I said, our country is bad. <laughs> the whole country's not bad. Just there are not enough great people in the first district of South Carolina, as it turns out. But I was like, sobbing Rebecca again. Oh, no. I know. Oh, no, I, I, know, know. I know. I know. But and then I and then I was worried. I thought like, well, you know, maybe this is it for her. Maybe she's going to be like enough. Okay, like I have gone through two devastating losses in my career on top of my devastating personal loss, and I'm not doing this anymore. And I was like, well, if she wants to just leave politics, I'll tell her, like, you know, you should do whatever you want. If you don't want politics, you know, I love having you in politics. That's not for you. It's not for you. And you're <laughs> like, sign me up. <laughs> keep going. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with those professional losses in politics? I mean, I'm 27, so obviously very young. Uh, it feels old when you're 27. I've never <laughs> felt so old in my life as when I was 28 flagging. Yeah. Like I'm like, I feel old and, or old enough. And I've never had a job that either you could lose or your employment was going to be up in two years. You know, like I've only ever worked on a cycle. So I don't know what job stability feels like. Right. <laughs> right. But I mean, that's why you like it. Right. It's because it's a challenge. And I've never gone into a situation, even situations where I probably should have, you know, thought, well, what am I going to do if we lose? I've never felt that, you know? So to me, it just seems normal. Like you have just a crushing blow to your ego every November. (laughs) Not every November, every other November. No, every other, every other. Yeah. Every two years. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. This is good. I do feel like we learned so much through that process. And, you know, people who are facing a terminal illness in their family, um, particularly if it's Alzheimer's, which I think people just really dread and has so much fear around it. Yeah. It's not all terrible. It's just not. It's just, it's not, you know, you're going to lose the person. There's so much loss in it. But there's a lot that you and your family are going to gain during the process and a lot of really precious moments that you wouldn't have otherwise. And you're strong enough to get through all of them. Absolutely. It's a good reminder. I remember like telling, I think Helen afterwards, like I need to write a book about like what to say to people that are grieving because we like are so bad at it as a um, (laughs) society, as a society, like I would just get like the worst text and they were all like so well-meaning. And I was just like, Oh, you missed the mark. (laughs) Well, what is the best? What is the right thing to say? I think a lot of people are afraid to talk to people, right? right? Yes. You know, and you don't want to bring it up. And I get that because, you know, I remember like, you know, I'd be having like a good day in the immediate aftermath. Like, you know, I'm not like sobbing today. I'm like, you know, at the grocery store. And then you would just get like a text from someone 
that was like, hey, just heard, like, so sorry. Like, <laughs> can't imagine what you're going through. And you're like, okay, I was actually fine. I'm at the grocery store. Like, I was fine until you texted me this. Yes. So, you know, I, I get that, but I think it's just, it's like acknowledging that you probably don't know exactly what they're going through, yeah. right? But that you love them or I'm here for you. And like, I think it's also like, in the immediate aftermath, you get a lot of outreach and stuff, which is amazing. And I felt so loved yeah. and our family did a really good job of like gathering together. But I think, you know, it's almost like you need someone to check in like four months in, right. you know, right. right. When like you're back at work, you know, I remember, you know, maybe three or four months after mom died, it was just like a horrible day. Like it was just a horrible day at yeah. work. And I just felt so sad. I felt awful. And I like went to a friend was just like, I feel really bad. Like, I just feel so sad. And there, she was like, okay, well, you should just leave work. Like you shouldn't, you can just go home. I don't think you need to be here right now. And then I texted you and was like, I am feeling so sad. And you're like, I am too. Like, I just woke up today and felt awful. And like, I think we went out to dinner that night or something, but just the like, that you at that exact moment also felt just as bad right, as I did right. helped so much. You know, I don't know what I'm like, we had dinner. We probably didn't even talk about mom. We probably right, just like, chatted, it, Cause in know? the moment you're terrible. And then a couple hours later, you might feel better. Cause none of this, yeah. cause grief, it doesn't move into like, in a, in a, in a it's not linear. Yes, it's not linear. As I say, um, reaching out and like having, you know, telling people when you're sad and then just having people be like, okay, well, do you want to go to dinner and, and we can not talk about it? Right. Like I, definitely needed a lot of people around me that wanted to do things, but not talk about it. Like I just needed to be around people. It is funny because I do think that even though it's not linear, I found if I was having a bad day, you likely were too, or Lisa was, or Beth Mm -hmm. was, or I remember like two years later being in Montana last summer in 2019 and just feeling kind of sad. And I like texted you this song by Marty Jones. We're doing all right, which I know you love now, right? Yes. Like this reminds me of your mom. I just like, thought I would share it with you. And you're like, how did you know? I just had a sobbing fit when I had to call some woman from Bank. Merrill Lynch. (laughs) You had to call someone at the bank. And and then she asked you something about like, well, what about your, you know, your mother? And you're like, my mother died. It's like, like, yeah, literally I had to tell a poor Merrill Lynch employee and I feel bad for them. Honestly, it was like, they're like, well, can you just ask your mom to transfer this for you? And I was like, my mother is dead. Oh, I am so sorry. (laughs) Well, we're going to need the form still. Like, it was just so bad. And yeah, it was just like kismet. You know, you you sent me that song. And I was like, oh, did you know? And I do feel like there are other things that have changed different in my life now, too. Because like the Dana experience, which is like, I'm way more focused on fun. Mm -hmm. Like you and your brothers and I went to Ole Miss because you all had never been to Mississippi. And your mom has been four years at Ole Miss and 10 years living in that state and went to a football game and we love Jason Isbell and your favorite song is Tupelo. And we're like, he's playing in Tupelo. So we're definitely going. And so we go to Tupelo, even though <laughs> it's sort of a ridiculous thing to do on a Sunday in March, but like, yes. yeah, fly, yes, we are flying to Memphis. We're running a car. We're driving the hour to Tupelo. Sure. We got both be at work the next day and we'll get there, but like, <laughs> we'll make it work. We're not missing, you know, but like, these are the, these are the big moments. So even though Dana's not with us there, you're like, you're the impetus for us making mm-hmm. sure exactly we do these important things yeah and just being like with you and Aunt Beth and Aunt Lisa I know for me and my brothers has just been like 
to have all mom's sisters around us has just been so like special and yeah it's a good thing all right i think that's a good (laughs) a good positive spot to stop thank you Thank you all for listening. I have a few more thoughts that I want to leave you with before we end. The night after Dana died, uh, my sisters Beth and Lisa and I and Dana's best friend Misty went out to dinner in Dallas and it felt like a celebration. We had champagne because that was Dana's favorite drink and we toasted her and we toasted ourselves and we actually said we did it as if her death was an accomplishment because it felt like it was because she did it her own way. She said, this diagnosis is going to be a blessing. It's going to bring our family closer together. It's gonna give us more quality time together. And it did. I'm glad she told me, but I hate to hear Rebecca second guess herself to say, well, you know, if I knew that my mom only had four years to live as opposed to the 10 years uh, we thought she had, would I have done things differently? Would I leave college and just go and you know be with her in Dallas? And what I want to say to you, Rebecca, is you had what you had. And you know that the most precious moments of your life were those moments that you spent with your mom when she was ill. It would be great to have more of those moments, but they would not have been more precious. You gotta live your life. That's what your mom wanted. Dana always gave her family a lot to be proud of, but I was never more proud of her than in the manner in which she handled her death. Death robbed Dana of time, but I don't believe it robbed her of life. Her world, like all Alzheimer's patients, got smaller, but the impact of her life got bigger. And I think the most important gifts she bestowed upon me, my sisters, my parents, even her own children, is we now live a more meaningful life. And that, in her death even, is what to me gave her life meaning. Thank you to my niece, Rebecca, for being on this very special episode of Just Something About Her. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Jessica Williams handles research. Allie Rogers is our associate producer. Sari Soffer is our producer, and Christian Castro-Russell is our executive producer. 